Uh, went to Brownsville Revival School of Ministry in Pensacola, Florida. Yes, come on. Not many people clap for that, but I do. I do. Come on. We're a different tribe of people, okay? So, and it and uh, it fits to a lot of where strategically we're headed as a state of Ohio. You know, went to college for two years. I graduated with no school debt, all that kind of stuff. Came back out of the into an Assembly of God Church children's pastor for three years. I also made children's pastor for twelve, ten years, full time. Uh, Wisconsin, Columbus, Toledo, and then we stepped out to a church, and uh, we we're we planted a church within Calvary, Toledo. And it was in a, a, the projects. We went in, they had just had a riot in this project in Toledo, and so we went in and did this, and at that point from then on, they had seen no more riot. The police actually came out and said something was, something changed. You know, we're, we're, we're praying and anointing oil and casting out demons, and people are walking up to us and giving us drugs and all this stuff because they're just like, they're getting their life right. And, and it kind of shifted because when I made a shift to go where I went, the heart of the church was to bring those people from the project and bust them in. And I said, we're going to ruin them because the church people are going to ruin the the realness of the gospel that was in that project. Yeah. And so... Um, and so we still have some communication a little bit with some of the folks when I see them around, but uh, Citron and all these guys with all their names, I was like, whew, because I am white as it gets, okay? They taught me how to jump rope with cables that you rip off the side of the buildings, all that stuff. So been there, done it. So we went, then Doug Clay called us when I was on staff at Calvary, called us and said, listen, there's this church out in Holland. They're an independent church. They were a break off of, they were a split of Calvary back in the day before Doug came to be the pastor at Calvary. And uh, they want to come back in the assemblies of God. So I would fill in here or there, whatever, as their kind of transition. And we knew the first Sunday that, um, that we were, that was where we were supposed to be at. One of the board meetings leading up to my hire, the, the board said, do you ever see yourself, you know, Calvary's a thousand people, do you ever see yourself pastoring a church of a thousand? And I said, yeah. And I said, but not like what I see there. I said, my heart is to see, I said, I could see a thousand people in seven or eight churches. So I believe the Catholics have something right where they, they do a community-based church. I'm, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go to the post office. I'm going to go to the, the bank. All these things with all these people that I fellowship with and create a community of believers that's around that. Instead of people driving to a community, let's get them, let's build our community. So when we went to this church, they had about 5% of the people actually lived in our community. The rest, 95% lived outside and drove in. I've been there 10 years. Fast forward, I've got out of the original 79, there's like 22 people that are still, not even 22 people that are still left there from the original, but we've made a bunch of transitions throughout the year. We did a revitalization of this body, and uh, about year number five, I was starting to feel this this urge to start planting. Before we left Calvary, we were looking at planting a church in a community, and it just, there was a, a hold because um, part of it to go, but also as my, my pastor didn't want to, didn't want to release I've served on other staffs and independent churches where I walked the past, I walked with the pastor through the process and we released another past, one of our youth pastors to go and plant a church and it was such a healthy process. He walked through the biggest thing, you're like, well, what if I lose people? That's the number one. What if, what if I lose, what if the finances go out the door? I'm like, so then, like, who are we to rely on? And my pastor said to us, he's like, listen, he, he, he said, I give you full access to all the people. He told our youth pastor was planning full access to anybody in our body. <laughs> he said that, and he's like, then he's like, yeah, we'll see who's going to go, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, all of a sudden, these high, some high level leaders 
state officials, some big dollars started walking out the door with him. And it was all, he was like, oh, oh. And, and I watched my pastor walk through that process in an independent church. And within one year, he's like, Josh, what? And within one year, God had not only replaced, but he had increased. Yeah. The people that were there. He's like, I sent some amazing people. And he said, I miss those amazing people. But God brought in people that were equally or greater for the call in our church, in our community. So he said, in essence, he tithed. We not only took a, received an offering, we gave an offering, but then we tithed the people to go. And so I walked through that. And then I got in AGN and then it was like, it, it was a push, but it wasn't really something that was, uh, that's time of our culture or whatever. And, and we didn't want to release because sometimes the monster gets so big that we, it's so big that it takes so much more to fuel the engine. And we get buildings, we big builder buildings and more staff and all this stuff. And so suddenly you're like, well, how can I plant a church? Because if money goes out the door, what does that mean? It's going to affect my pocketbook. It's going to affect where I'm at. And uh, let me just start off by saying this when we start talking about church planting in rural communities. It's not sexy and it sucks most times. Can I say that? I didn't say it in the pulpit, but I said it right here. Okay. Well, last Sunday I said, you can quote me on that. That's fine. Sunday I said, uh, some of y'all need to get your panties out of a wad. And Sunday morning I'm like, oh, I'm still dealing with jet lag from, from uh, Africa. That's why I blamed it on. But it's not sexy because going to plant rural church communities is not sexy. I mean, who are the people that get on the platforms to speak for church planting? Multiplication. It's the guys that are showing up. They're seeing 500 people show up at their campus. Rob Ketterling, he won't even start a campus unless 500 people show up at that, are committed to showing up at that place before he even starts it. I'm like, 500? I'm like, I don't even have, I got four churches and don't have 500 in between them all yet. So we stepped back and we, we did this revitalization and I have all these kind of things brewing of where I've been. And our body, our, we're starting to see a healthy, our church is, is healthy, we're growing, we, we're starting to bump the numbers, we're running about 125 people, and I just started feeling this stir in my spirit of a community that's just seven miles away from, from us. And you're like, seven miles or six miles away from us. Now, in church playing, there's some natural barriers that people won't cross. Rivers, highways, country, you know, like, they'll, they will go to, they won't drive to another community because, like, this is our community. I've got to have ownership and rights in my community. I'm, this is where I'm at. We need to grow. And so they won't cross some of those barriers sometimes. You're like, well, I can't go over there. That's like, in Toledo, I can drive 15 minutes and be on the other side of town. I'm like, well, I can't go to Toledo. Even in between Holland and Toledo where I live, there's the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the roundabout or the loop around Toledo. Uh, 23, 475. I'm like, well, if I go across underneath that bridge, that's another whole world. And so, I mean, I don't even go shopping over. I don't do nothing over. I stay on my side of the bridge. But there's these natural barriers that we do. And so when we realize church planting in a rural community, there's places in these small communities where people are not going to cross over. And if we can go in and create pockets, we'll find pockets in those places. And so this was one, Swan was our first community. We went in, it was a, uh, we went in and I, I drove around town one day after a party somebody was having, drove around town, I pulled up on a building, and I'm like, I know that name. It was one of my good friends who attended Calvary at the point in time. He owned the building. So I called him, I said, do you own that building? He's like, yeah. He's like, I've been trying to rent that out for blah, blah, blah all this time. So I said, can we come and look at it? We're talking about planting a church. We went up on like the Sunday night, had all my board and my leadership team and my staff come in and we have a bunch of part-time staffers that work outside and, and do that. And, um, so we came in and, and prayed through the building and students were walking, you know, people were walking out around. It was a storefront and our, uh, our team came back in and I had big paper on the wall and we said, what's God saying? Boom, boom, started walking through this. And, uh, 
So we said, all right, I think, you know, let's just take this to the Lord a little bit. I went back on Monday and called the, the guy that owns the building. I said, you know, I think we're, I think, I think we're liking this. So what's our number? What's the rent going to be? And he's like, listen, I'm going to throw in, I've got a, uh, a place that's on the back of the other building. It's another 2,000 square feet. So it's 6,000 square feet, $1,700 a month. And, uh, we'll take care of all the utilities, taxes, you know, any maintenance, all that kind of stuff. We'll even help you build out the rest of the property. I said, he said, and you realize as soon as you sign this document, somebody's going to call me and wants to, because he was renting each 2,000 square foot for $2,000 a month, and he gave it to us for 1700 Because when you plant a church and you do that, you can also, because you're a nonprofit, file the forms with the, with the landowner so they can get that taxes exempt for that property, even if you don't own it. So I said, if you'll just take the tax amount that you're you're paying on taxes and give me that back in a, a lower rent, you're not out of anything, I'm not out of anything, and we're both in a better spot. So $1,700 we pay a month for about 6,000 6, square feet in that little community. We planted it. I took a pa- I didn't have a pastor. We just started. So I, I went in, signed the document on Monday. He's like, do you have money for a, a down payment, you know, like a, a deposit? I'm like, oh, I don't have anything with me. He's like, he called, he called his secretary and give me a check. He wrote a check for $500. He said, go deposit that in your bank and then write me a check and uh, we'll discount it as good. Gave me the deposit money too. So I went home. I went back to my office and I got on my computer and I emailed my board and I said, hey, just want to let you know we signed a lease today and we're going to be opening up a church in Swan at that location. I hope it's all good. No prior approval from the board, everything that. But I had come, brought that church through a process and that trust factor was very high. And you already planted five churches though. No, that point was number one. I had never planted any churches at that point. thought the trust factor was that high already. Yeah. I had walked them through, though, uh, five years of, of revitalization by that point. So we, we, uh, we started, we started building and I didn't have a pastor. Ended up finding somebody just, I would say, anybody know somebody that wants to pastor? I don't think I have to have credentials. I just want to train them. I just need somebody out here. So we started doing Saturday nights. I preached. My worship team came out with me and then he came right alongside of me. And at the end of one, at close to the end of one year, he would preach a little bit more often. And at the end of one year, we went to a Sunday morning and he took over completely and took off. And I mentor and coach him. We meet, uh, we don't meet every week now, but once a month, our team meets together to have dinner and fellowship, all the pastors, and I work with them, coach them. Okay, So then we, we did that. And a year later, I had Julian Shelby Pratt call me and say, listen, we want we feel called to plant a church. So we're at family camp, sitting in my camper, putting all the plans together. Our kids are outside running around doing something. Their kids zonked out in somebody else's camper. And we like put a whole plan together, ended up planting a church in Hope City, in Hope Church. It was going to be in Worthington, and we ended up moving it to Plain City because the building they have the huge, this barn that's amazing. It's gorgeous. 1800s barn that's there. They're, they're in like a, they're in a, um, a Mennonite community and she's a female lead pastor. And, uh, and so in that, that's almost like planting in a Muslim community kind of a thing, okay? The doors have flung wide open for Julie because she's a children's major, you know, like really in children's major. So she started working with all these other churches and doing these things. Then they're saying they do a prayer breakfast once a month and they asked her to lead it at the, at the Dear Dutchman and all these things. So now they're, they've maxed out their facility because their children, I mean, that Mennonite community, they have a lot of kids. And so we're working with the uh, OCMN. We're going to put a we're putting a modular that Calvary's given us. We're going to put that on the property that'll open up another fourteen hundred square feet for them for two children's ministry spots. After two and a half years at that location, 
And, uh, so that's, that was the second one. And then we, so that we had a, a sovereign plant in Swanton. We had a, um, Wood, Hope Church came in and, uh, they were a sovereign plant, but they were kind of on their own over here where they're bored and they're covering under a network of churches. And then we took Woodville Church and, uh, that was a church that the network had and no, I, I'm the presbyter and I was like, I went to all the, ch- you know, the churches in the area and I'm like, listen, we, we gotta do something. We can't just let, it, we can't lose the ground that we have territory in that place. I feel as the presbyter, I'm the gatekeeper for our community. Not that I'm the only one, but somebody to lead that. And so, um, I talked to these other churches and nobody wanted to do anything about it. And so I said, all right, I told my board, we're going to go take that church and we're going to bring it back to health. It was healthy at one point, and then over the course of 25 years, it went down to about 10 people in it. They had money in the bank, they had this building that was paid off, and they owned property that was uh, all paid off as well. And we closed the church three years ago, and they've meet, met in a home group. They've actually grown in their home group, and uh, we're in the final steps of their remodel project right now that'll bring the building up to code and uh, go from there. So that'll launch here shortly. So we've got those three, and then my church in Holland. And we created this church planting network within Ohio. Oh, I forgot to tell you, when we planted our first church, Swanton, we were only 125 people. 125. Our budget for annual budget for a year was less than $200,000 for our churches. And you're like, how in the world do you do that? Today we, our annual budget three years, three years after we planted these churches, uh, this year we crossed over the $400,000 mark between all of our campuses and, uh, go from there. Swanton, Holland, and Woodville. We share our budgets right now. We pay bills. We have the same insurance. We do all the stuff like that. I man- We manage that with a covering so that they have limited overhead. Yeah, and then that way they don't have to, like, there's no reason that they all have budget. They all have bookkeeper. No reason for all these things. We've shifted all these. Ho- uh, Hope Church takes care of all their own finances, and I'm their governance. I work. Uh, they have boards within them because we just added a board, an advisory committee, like a network affiliated model within them so that they have if because they're all calling me for stuff and i'm like listen if you if you need an elder if you need somebody to pray for somebody these people need to be raised up and when they decide to step out and go gc on their own if that's what they want to do then they uh they have a board structure already in place that they can take and go now julie they've been at this for two and a half years she's like we have no plans at this point of becoming a general council church because she's like i love the covering and i love the relationship when we talk about real church planning it's all about relationship you i i i we had a conference here last year and uh, one of the speakers i went we traveled with him to montana for some things and i was here for the conference and he has a church like, coaching network and all this stuff and he said what's the value of your network and i said the value of our network it's like what do you provide uh, and you know cuz he provides all these teachings and blah, blah blah all this stuff and i said we have relationships he's like that's never going to last and i said because you're in the big city i said come to rural where we feel that we're by ourselves we have nobody else working alongside of us. We feel like, you know, where's the platform? Where's the opportunity? We, we judge who we are by who gave in the offering yesterday and the amount of people that were inside our pew. And then we say, well, that's how good or how bad we are. But when we can get together with somebody else and say, and cry my river and they're crying, you're like, why are we all crying together? Like we have this opportunity to be greater that we can celebrate a story that's going on over here because we're part of that. This is one of my kids. So, Ruben, who's my Swanton pastor, he's working through the, we're finishing his credential this year. 
walk through the process of see what they're doing. There's a major, uh, there was a major murder thing that happened up in Toledo area two years ago. And our pastors up there are the ones that are in the courtroom right now working with the, working with that family and with the judge and the domestic violence groups. We're the only ones that are allowed in the courtroom other than the family and the couple other people because of the impact that we have. And it's about relationship. This whole discussion on rural church planning, I didn't really think it was much and all these kind of things. And But last year we did a, a book a book study with uh, Gary Fowler, and it was on Small Town Jesus. If you've never read this book, Small Town Jesus by Donnie Gra- uh, Griggs, taking the gospel mission seriously in seemingly unport- unimportant places. And um, pretty easy read. We did a discussion on it. If you're interested in doing a discussion on it, let me know. I will. I mean, we can do a phone call. We'll do whatever and just work through it and walk through it. I'm I'm open to just helping you get to that point. And so we we're reading this, and kind of right around the time that the kind of revelation I had while we were there, all dates to the, for me like the shift of the election. So prophetic word, prof, a prophetic unction really that was in there. And I I realized that I said when President Trump was elected, everybody expected. That it was the elect, you know, these big cities on the north, on the east and west coast were going to be the ones that were going to determine. But why did he get elected? It was because the small, average America rose up and began to make their voice count. And so we realize that, that there is, there is greater strength in the heart of our country. And why is Ohio shaped like a heart? You know, aren't we the heart, can't we be the heartbeat and out of this place, the two longest highways of our nation crisscross in they crisscross in Toledo, but they crisscross in our country. It's like veins that go out to the stretches of our country from this state. And so why wouldn't God bring a revival of rural America there? He's already started. started and I don't care how you voted or anything like that. But it made us step back in that discussion group and say, Listen, look what's happening, this shift of the value. Look at, if you receive the uh, Influence magazine just the other day, the main article is rural America, reaching and revitalizing rural America. When, um, and that's the, the main crux of the article in the middle there. And say, so, and, and I'm on multiple, uh, I'll share some multiple sites and things like that, Facebook groups that, that I participate in, the rural side of stuff, that, um, when you look at it and you're like, there's this resurgence that's happening right now. When Trump began to say, you know, uh, America, make America great again, like, that goes to the heart of our heartlands. That goes to the heart of our small communities. See, uh, Church, Church Multiplication Network, Ohio, four-legged stool, we kind of come up with this, planting four kinds of churches, working with ethnic churches, creating urban churches, the core, urban core, or like inner city churches, mission-based, suburban churches, we do those amazingly. And on my side, walking more through the rural uh, church planting, is those are the four kind of pushes that we're working on right now. Did you know that more than half of all parent and pack churches in the AG are in the medium size or smaller si- medium or smaller sized communities? Parent affiliated churches. The parents and their children, over half of them, are in medium to smaller communities across our nation. It's not the big cities; it's the smaller. The word that I defined rural church planting with is transformation. If you're in Columbus, and today we have this event called Synergy, there's 600 and some people here today walking around doing this. Unless you live around this building, nobody else knows what's even happening in this in this place. But if we went to a small town or a rural town, we went to Plain City, 
And we brought 600 people into that community and met at a couple places. That community would be shut down. Because there would be an excitement about, look at all these people that are coming in. The opportunity for transformation is huge within the local and a rural community. I, I, well, I'm on Toledo, uh, so my, I work with, uh, we have a village that's about 1,400 people. The mayor is a Christian. He gives me, we will do about $6,000 a year in an event called, uh, we do movies in the park all summer long for families, and we get 1,700 people or more that show up to these movies. It's amazing. It's crazy. It's just, and that's one of the things, but I help run all the major events of that community. It's called Transformation. When they, when, when I was at family camp a couple years ago, a tornado downburst stuff came through and, uh, some bad storms came through and knocked out the power for the whole village and then somebody else. But we were right on the outside corner of it. And so he called me while I was at family camp. I was getting ready to go in the night service at that point in time. He said, Josh, we're having an emergency management meeting at six o'clock tomorrow morning. I need you here. My family packed up. We put everything in the camper, left it there and drove home, got home at midnight. So that I was in a meeting at six o'clock in the morning and answering the schools, they brought all the food to me because we began to cook and send it out from our place to everybody else in the community because they didn't have food preparation opportunities. Transformation. When somebody needs something, who do they call? If your church closed down today, would people know that it even closed down? Transformation is defined as a thorough and dramatic dramatic change in form or appearance. When I came to the church, our board said, on a scale of 1 to 10, how effective were we in our community? 1 being not effective and 10 being very effective. They laid it as a 2. Today, that same group or the same leadership, the leadership team will put that at an 8 or a 9. Because transformation, we look dramatically different. People know where we are. They know what we stand for. They know what we're going to do. They know we're going to show up. So the opportunity that's there, listen, when you're talking rural church planting, it's not a short-term commitment. It's a long-term commitment. You're in it for the long haul. Because a growing church in a shrinking town will not say a secret for long. You can't come in and expect, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to be a flash in the pan and get ready to move on. You're in there to make an impact in that community. Um, I don't know if you saw, I don't know if I pulled that up. I want to, let me just pull this up here. Josh Williford, he is doing the, um, uh, that was People's Church one, the opportunity. He did, uh, he shared yesterday with us, uh, a survey. If you haven't done the leadership survey, and I don't know if they talked about it this morning in the opening session, or I think Pastor John's going to talk about it this afternoon. Did he talk about it? Yeah. Um, that's not it. Oh, darn. I have a report that shows where the, where the, uh, the urban communities and how we have counties across our state that haven't, you know, the potentials that we have or where we can, we can go. But in Ohio, um, we have a lot of urban, but we have, in Ohio, we have 240 cities in Ohio are greater than the 5,000, have greater than 5,000 people living in them. In Ohio, we also have, in the regards to villages, 686 church or communities that have a population under 5,000 people. So the opportunity that there, you step back and say, well, why do we go rural church playing? Because Jesus has called us as a basis to our response for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
When we were in Tanzania, our vehicle talked, we were at lunch one day, we asked Bishop Tukunali about why do we do that? He said, why, what does Luke 19.10 say? It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's a simple gospel. We're saying we're going to go over here to wherever it is. So what does a church in a rural community look like? Does it have to have a big building? Does it have to have all these things? Can it be a small uh, a body of believers that meets in a home that has a pastor that cares and shepherds them? And to see what goes on? Because I'm sure if something begins to take place and we see the Pentecostal distinctives and we see people healed and God moving in lives, I'm sure it's not going to be able to stay in a house for long. It's going to have to grow and have to go out there. I realize in our community, we're in Swanton, there's so many churches that tried to have been planted in the high school and they never made it. Now the community of 3,600. And so we said, I need a physical space because otherwise we're not going to make it and people won't take us seriously. Scripture response to small towns and villages. Luke chapter 13, verse 22 says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Luke 13, 22, if Jesus went through those places and preached, isn't it important that we do it? Matthew 9, 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. At a point in our life that if we're not seeing people healed because of our shadow, there's more of Jesus available. And if we're not seeking him, I'm not called to heal, I'm called to pray. And to believe and to see God move in people's hearts and lives. So what does success in rural church planting work look like? These are questions that I just kind of ask. And I, and I use that word success very loosely. Success, I believe, is a word that we, sometimes we, many of us hang our hats on. Am I a successful person or not? So because of the number of people that are in my church or the, the offering, what my budget looks like and all these things, my influence. Maybe the word more as we were talking, I was talking with the uh, church planning team yesterday was about looking more at the word sustainable or a healthy church. What do those look like in a rural community? The first thing you have to know about church planning in rural communities, you've got to know your community. You've got to know your community. Rural communities have distinct cultures that we must get to know one community at a time. We cannot go on a mission in a community if we don't learn its complex history. We have to understand its present reality and desperately long and labor for its future to thrive with the hope of the gospel. That's out of that, out of the Influence magazine. In 1900, 35% of the population lived in metropolitan areas. Today, 86% of the population lives in metropolitan areas. Fewer than 50 million people currently live in the 1,976 counties that are classified as non-metro across the nation. So how do you get to know your community? Number one, you got to spend time in it. If you're not spending time in your community, you're not going to get the flavor. Find find the, the greasy spoon. Find the mom and pop shop that's off the, off the beaten trail. Go there and sit and eat. Go multiple days so people get to know you, get to know the waitress, you get to know the cook. You, you find your favorite on the thing. You, you drink the coffee. You find all the story. You just sit there and eventually, and you're not looking at your iPad. You're not reading a book. You're not doing anything else. You're nosy. 
Okay? Some of us do that so well. I do it so well. I call it networking, okay? <laughs> call it whatever you want. Sit at the, t- at the counter. Sit someplace where you're there. Who's, who's the, if you can sit at the counter, you're gonna, she's the, it's like that waitress is the bartender, right? She knows everybody's story that's gonna walk through that door. If it's not a greasy spoon, go sit at McDonald's in that city. Because what happens every morning at McDonald's, a certain group of men or women will show up and they'll have coffee and say, Hey, I'm new to the community. Can I buy you guys coffee? Let me, I'm going to buy you guys coffee or, or, you know, whatever. Make sure if you go there and find out what time they arrive, ask the lady at the counter, what time does that group of guys arrive? Are they here every day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you show up next time and say, buy a gift card and put it, sit it right there and say, listen, every time somebody walks in, I just want you to use this gift card to buy whatever they want. Buy, you know, do that the way in. And, and man, what's, uh, some guys walk, if you walk into a little community like that in the McDonald's and say, man, I'm new to this community. What's, how'd you get here? You know, what in the world happened? It's not about being cool. We were we were selling some land, and we were selling the land in Woodville, uh, a, a piece of property off to the side, and a farmer was buying it from us. And um, so, listen, I, I moved out into the country personally. I have I have five and a half acres. I got chickens and tap my own trees and chop my own wood, do all that kind of stuff. And uh, I bought a pickup truck and some cowboy boots, and like I am all. In. Like okay, I I just go for it. I got my got myself a pocket, a knife and guns. Come on, that's what I'm talking about. So I, I I put the full get up on when I met with that farmer to sell my property to sign the bill because I want him to know we we are in this together. But you know he was pretty excited. He's like, when that church opens, I'll be there. He said, you call me and tell me when it opens. He said, you know where my house is. You show up, we'll be there. And, uh, because it was, because for him, it wasn't the problem. He said, and you, he said, you know, when, when I die, he said, you know what? You may end up with this property back again. Because for him, it wasn't about, it wasn't a money exchange. It was a relationship exchange. You know, and then when we sold it, we closed on the property, went to a place, and the lady that was at the place just lived in the next community, was the next community, and she lives in Woodville. And she's like, man, I've been wondering what's been going on with that place, because when we closed the building, we put a blue tarp over the sign, and took down the phone, did everything else, and even we didn't even tell the village, and they had no clue what was going on. Everybody's like, well, what's going on? Now, this, they're seeing movement in the Facebook pages in Woodville. This little community of 2,600 people is hopping. They're like, we heard the dwelling place in Holland is, has bought the building and they're remodeling and they're getting ready to reopen it. And like, we haven't done a single stitch of advertising. But the words in the community that we're investing in the community, we know the, the police chief, Roy. We know the leadership in the community and all these things. See, Get to know the community. Go to the places where the greasy spoons are. Wikipedia, Google search it. Find out everything that's there. What's the good, the bad, the ugly that's happened? Go on the Census Bureau and figure out all the stuff. On. Find the stakeholders in the community. Listen, if you go and meet the elected officials and leaders because they've got money that will help you do what you want to do. Well, they're not going to give money to a church. You say, sit down with that mayor and say, what's your greatest need? Uh, we, we just, we just, you know, we're having problems with people just throwing trash all over the place. All right, we're, tell me where it is and give me the have, circle where you need and we'll take care of it. What, what's your greatest need? What, meet with the elected leaders. Meet with these people. Find out the business owners. Find out the long-term residents. Set appointments. Buy coffee. Get outside of your world. 
Well, they're not showing up at my door. Yeah, right. Yeah. Jesus didn't sit there and wait like a judge. He went out to the people. Get your hands dirty. I don't have an office anymore. This is my office, my bag. My office is no more because I, I closed my office, put a conference table in. Now the local Chick-fil-A and other business leaders use my, my conference room with all the TV, media, and all that stuff that we invested into that room. They come and do all their meetings right there. They have a key and a code to get into my building. They tell me when they're showing up on my phone. I make sure that the, the heat is going to be on or the AC is going to be on before they arrive. Listen, I haven't paid as lick of Chick-fil-A. I haven't paid for Chick-fil-A in such a long time. It's awesome. <laughs> Woo, the glory. Hallelujah. Uh, find out, do they have a chamber of commerce? Is there a rotary club? What other groups are within the community? We planted Swanton. We were partnering already with a group called Swanton Area Community Coalition that deals with drugs and alcohol and all the things that are going on from there. So that we help them over there. Well, guess what? There's not a, a group like that and funding like that yet secured in our zip code where our church, the main church is. So they've now called us and we're helping to lead the effort right now in our community too. Funding that just helps walk in the door. Find out what the spiritual climate is so far. Has their church plants, have they come or not made it? What is, um, do you need a building or can you have a place that you go in and out of as a portable church? And if you need portable church stuff, go to Portable Solutions, right? It's on recording. Andrew Fike. There you go. So, so you not only have to know your community, but you also need to be at a, how does it, what's a, a sustainable, rural church look like you cannot be a lone wolf you've got to network and have relationships to do that it's important to be able to do life together with others man ministry is a lonely place already and then to get yourself kind of off to the side to do it but be a networker you need to i've got friends i've got friends that i got a friend okay I, I got folks that when they come to these events, they call me before the event and say, listen, I'm just going to follow you around all day because you know a lot of people. And I just want to meet the people that you know. Uh, seriously, I can give you the names of the people that do this to me. It's all right. Because I'm like, listen, I'll introduce you to them because then you'll stop asking me and you'll finally go to them. Okay? And, and just let's do it. It's not that that's anything. But if I know anything that I'm really good at, my, my thing is I'm a good network. Like, you need something? Oh, I know somebody. Okay, relationship is the value of the important. It's not about the money; it's about the relationships. Uh, I told Julie, I told Julie and Shelby, I said, I got, I got no money for you, like big money, because Rob Loy had called. She was over at Little Rock Assembly of God first, whatever, with Rob Loy, and he was saying, "Listen, we want, we'll, we'll plant you and do all this kind of stuff." And they were, plan, they were going to get all this kind of money from them. And she said, "But what kind of relationship am I going to have with them?" Yeah, it's great to have the money, but what's the long term going to look like? And today she's like, we're here because we're to the place we are because we have the relationship. And for our church playing network, they're actually people that are helping to recruit people to be part of our network because it's about the value of the relationship. And as they talk and they're like, man, this is just, this is where we need to be at. Shannon O'Dell, he wrote a book called Transformational Church in Rural America. 
breaking all the rules. It says, transforming church in rural America. Uh, for centuries, the rural church has been isolated and insulated from the greater body of Christ by the sheer realities of geography. Those days are gone. There's absolutely no reason that we cannot be networking together as leaders. Those who are resisting the urge to settle by sharing resources, encouragement, wisdom, and vision, we do not have to do it, have to do it anymore, uh, along anymore. Together we can do so much alone anymore. Together we can do so much more and do it so much better. Do you have a, is there a, a local pastors group that gets together? Find that group. Do life together. There's a power of a church planting network or a parent. I, I brought up to our OCMN team yesterday. I said, I, I want to make a, I want to make a motion from the presbytery that we don't plant churches unless you're underneath a parent, uh, a parent. I don't want the net, I don't think the network should be planting churches anymore because of relationship. They're there to help empower us to go and do this. Okay? Resource us. Because a healthy church will plant a healthy church. Alright? And that ongoing, ongoing process, ongoing communication, coaching, and all these things that we walk through together. And so this, this, um, I have this graphic that we've just created and I should have, should have produced it, but so we have these churches underneath there. Well, we have a, we're instituting a percentage. We're asking our churches that are part of our network to put a 2% back into the network to help cover some of the administration. Cause right now my church has been covering all of the things that I do. Uh, I'm at a place where I'm outside of my church more now than I'm inside my church. And so it's kind of, that's just where we are. And, uh, so then I have, I set up pay to play options to them in essence. So listen, I've got a bookkeeper. I've already, I've already guaranteed a certain cost per hour. If you want, we'll take your bookkeeping and we'll lead that. And it's going to cost, you know, X amount of dollars per hour. And that way together we're able to do this. I have somebody that does graphics. Well, you don't have to go hire a graphics person at all that amount of money and pay them all that. I said, I've hired a graphics person that does all mine and this is what she charges me per hour. And this is what you'll pay. I'll, how many hours do you want? And I'll just, you just pay for those hours. We do payroll together. We do, um, we have the policies of our organization may help to be driven by those that are the leaders in the local church, but they're, they're emphasized from the top for we approve them and push them through. Um, we have, I bought a big, big printer. We do all the printing for all of our, our churches so they don't have to go out and go to, uh, Kinkos and print the big banners and all this stuff. You go to network conference. Some of these, some of these things, I print some of these stuff because I have, we have that stuff. We bought the resources so we have them for what needs to happen. Okay. I need to kind of move along here. Pastors, denominational interdomination, doing it together. Community groups that you're, you know, when you're doing your networking, it's not just within the pastors and the churches. It's also within the community. I partner with, uh, I, I helped flip pancakes one day for a, a, a pancakes with Santa Claus event. Well, the, the manager of Walmart was next to me, Denise, and, uh, and we got to know each other. The next thing I know, she's like, why aren't you putting in for money from Walmart to help do what you want to do? Well, all right. And so she started approving money for us because I, I was at an event volunteering two hours of my time flipping pancakes for the JROTC. Networking. I go to Walmart, Sam's Club. I go in any of the businesses. I was just downstairs with Josh Stevens and all those guys. And they're like, listen, when we were up there and shooting some video with Josh, everywhere we went, they all knew who he was. You walk in the store, you go in your community, do people know who you are? 
Like they, they know. I, I, they know who I, I know all the people, all the ladies at Starbucks. I know all, all the employees at, at Chick-fil-A. They all know who I am. There's businesses that call me. They know who I am. And, and that's good. And I'm like, hey, great network resource. We're putting these things together because it takes a community to build a church. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, sustainability for church plan, uh, rural church planning is resourcing. Mainstream church planning resources. This is what, um, oh, what's his name that, uh, from, that did the big thing there. That, let me just, so I make sure I quote him and don't get in trouble when you scan this or tell somebody else this art, that what, man, what I learned. What, what's his name that does all this research for the assembly? No, not, uh, Barnett's the other guy. Um, it's, he was for, he's a Baptist guy. Um, oh, here he is. Ed Stetzer. Yeah, Ed Stetzer wrote this. He said, mainstream church planning resources are often unhelpful and rural church planning strategies are markedly different from strategies for any other context. It's completely different. And that's why as Al and Sarah and our team is looking at, listen, we're looking at ethnic church plants. We're looking at rural. We're looking at, uh, inner city or, uh, you know, urban. We're looking at suburban. They don't crisscross to do the same things in the same way. Put somebody that's a, a city slicker. Hello. You know, remember the movie city slicker? Put them out there in the country. They, like, boy, what you talking about? All right. They got, they got put stuff on their boots. They can't handle the mud, whatever. We've, we've got to begin to look for resources. There are resources that are coming out. And resources are not only in books and all these things. It's with people. Right. Hey, what are you doing? Have you, I, I have sat down and I have paid for some very expensive meals. I've sat down, I, I sat down with Jim Wilkes at times and he, I said, listen, I'm going to buy you lunch. I got to ask a bunch of questions. And he bought the choicest steak on that menu. But you know what I walked away with? More than, I mean, that, that $75 meal was more than what I would have, what I could have read about or whatever. It's the investment. You're going to grow if you're hungry. You're going to find, you can't do this on your own. If you want the resource, you got to, you got to dig it in and find some of these places. Find people that are out there looking at multi-site options and for whatever for these, for, you know, rural, there's, there's something like, we never wanted to video and send our, our messages to another place. That that was out of our, but it's not out of the out of the books. We'll we'll do it if that's where we feel God's leading us. Looking at all the options and saying there's not one model that you have to go with. You've got to find out. Okay, what's our personality? Who are we? The thing that doesn't change when you plan a rural church is the DNA of the mother. We can do things differently. The vehicle can look different, but the DNA and what we stand for is exactly the same. And then that's what unites us and keeps us together. Um, here's a here's a big thing that we we did to have a successful rural church. You have to be willing to change what the win looks like. What does the win look like? If I went and I wanted to know how well I was doing. I am going to feel so horrible if I go on and look at some of the stories that come out across the national office, you know, our national office or, or ARC or some of these other places because I did our first church plant at, uh, Colum- or in Swanton and we had 75 people that showed up. Now listen, we were 125 at our main campus. We sent 30 people out there. We had 75 show up. We're at year number three and we're running about 60 people and they're sustainable on their own. 
We had to change what the wind looks like. Because for that, I'm like, well, you know, we're just a small church, whatever. But what, at the end of, at the end of the first year before we planted, we planted Swan, and our budget had increased, and our, our people had increased, and I remember going to my body and my board, and I said, if this is what happened with one, what's going to happen when we do two? And what's going to happen when we do three? And they were like, I don't know, Pastor, but I'm, let's do it. So I'm blessed. I've got a board that says, listen, we're going to staff to our needs. I've already submitted to them and said, listen, if you want me, if I'm doing something that we shouldn't be doing, I'll, I'll surrender all that other stuff if you need me to do, you need me to focus right here. And they said, Pastor, that's not your call. This is what you're called to do. And so we changed the wind. One of the goals of church planning is to see lives change, which is transformation through salvation. But we have worry, fear, and discouragement that settle in because the numbers don't line up with others. We hear the stories of hundreds showing up to grand opening, and you have 50. We we see the level of growth and all the systems and all that. And listen, church planning in rural communities, you don't have to have all the systems. They don't care if we walk through the door and five people have shaken their hands and they and this and this and they got this certain gift and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff and the music is just right. Man, they'd be happy just with a guitar up there, no smoke, no nothing else going on and say, listen, I'm just here. Give me a good cup of coffee and let's just do this the right way and I want, let's have a lunch. Let's do something along that side. So number one in changing the wind is you can't compare. You're not apples to apples. You have a different harvest field. Your call and your place is completely different than my place. You have to set the wind for your community. I remember sitting down with Ruben at one point in time, and at the beginning he's like, man, we're just not seeing the people come. And I'm like, dude, I said, you've added 10 people to your church in the last three months. What are you talking about? And so we changed our wind structure to a percentage. I said, listen, your community is 3,600 people. And I said, you've got 50 people attending your church right now. I said, you have 1.4% of your church is attending. 1.4% of your community is attending your church. Said, well, that's only 1.4. I said, okay, let's go to Toledo. Toledo, 1.4% of Toledo, 300,000 people live in, the, in Toledo proper. 1.4% is 4,200 people. I said, can you tell me a church that's in Toledo proper that's 4,200 people? He's like, no. I said, so you're comparing yourself to the other side and God's given you a win right in front of your eyes. Percentage levels the field and brings out the right perspective. We say, okay, what's it going to take? What? So it's going to take, so the goal is we're at 3,600. Let's, let's, let's work towards that 2% of seeing 72 people attending your church on a regular, but your average being 72. I said, that's great. Said so you're sustainable. You're meeting your budget. Listen, on our budget, we run a campus in Swanton for right about thirty-six to thirty-eight thousand dollars a year with rent. We got other places we were talking about. Ken DeChant, who's in uh, Fremont, he plays planning a church in um, Oak Harbor right now. He said we put two hundred dollars a week out for our rent and a meal every week for our church at that location. Two hundred dollars a week in rural, and they have a six thousand square foot facility that they use on Sunday morning. a month. He said, because the teaching and the worship all come from the other location. We already are buying the curriculum. It's all coming along with us. We have a partnership. It's under the same umbrella, so we can use all that stuff over here. You've cut back on the overhead. 
That's the great thing about these. Uh, you're like, okay. I mean, you you can go and do it. And you can mess it up. But listen, I got we got guys that have never planted or never pastored before, and they just said, I feel called to do something, and God's been stirring this in my heart. And I'm like, all right, if you have a call, I'll be willing to, to mentor you and lead you and disciple you. But I, I got no time for that. I got they got to know. They have to look. They have to dress fancy and blah blah blah. Yeah, whatever. So some resources that are out there. Oh, I need to. Resources that are out there. Uh, Influence Magazine, you're going to see that. Um, Rural Matter, there's, uh, in, in the Influence Magazine, there's a couple things. Rural Matters Institute, which is the Billy Graham Center, they've been putting, it's based out of Wheaton, Illinois. They have, it's called Rural Matters Institute. There's some things that are coming out along that side. Uh, I know you guys went to the Water Tower Project with, uh, uh, Brian Jarrett down in Texas. He said in their philosophy there is if a church, if a community is big enough to have a water tower, it's big enough to plant a church. We talked about this yesterday in rural at the uh, church planning a multiplication group. And uh, Ken DeChant looks at his and says, listen, if a community is big enough to have a McDonald's and a, uh, a Dollar General or a Family Dollar. He said, we're not, here, we're, not, we're not here to plant a Walmart Supercenter. We're here to plant a Dollar General in a rural community. Every square foot is maximized. Every square. It doesn't have to look fancy. It doesn't have to look great. But you're saying, listen, we're going to be a place and a center for hope for Jesus Christ, okay? Um, rural Compassion. If you haven't been part of Rural Compassion, an offshoot of Convoy of Hope, you need to be part of that. Look at that. Listen to it. See some, there's additional resources that are there. We'll be hosting some more. Uh, rural America Ministries Network is out there as well. And if you type in some of these on Facebook, they'll come up and then some other groups will come up. And I, just even in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten connected with some of these other groups. And I'm like, man, I'm having such great conversation because I'm hearing these people that think are like me. I mean, God bless them. There's more. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, uh, um, the rural, uh, was it the rural compassion one? And then a rural America mysteries. Let me go to these, uh, to a couple of other face group groups that I have. Oh my gosh, I just did them. Where'd I go back to? Should have wrote groups. Okay. We'll get them figured out. Um, they just, Romance to Small Town Big Church is another one that I, uh, that I just started. That one's got a lot of great resources in that one I'm finding. AG Small Church Leaders, uh, AG Rural Lead Pastors. Um, great great this small town Jesus calls the rural opportunities modern Mayberry they're on the edges of our counties and the villages in our small towns Listen, our, these areas are rampant with opioids and drug uh, addictions and our community and listen the, the sheriff the police all of them can do so much but we spiritually have to attack this and if we can offer some hope in a place Donnie Griggs asks the question why is the small town not important he says because we, we have these things in our minds, these myths in our minds that cities impact small, the small towns, so let's focus on the cities. Why are they not important? Because cities have more people, and so they need more churches. Why are they not important? Because I only have one life, and I want to make it really count, <laughs> right? Number four, why do we do these things? And why is small town ministry not important? Because I secretly want a large church and a large profile, and I won't get it if I plant a church in the middle of nowhere. 
we can't have this conversation about rural church planning as well if we're not willing to be able to have the healthy conversation about bivocational ministry. Bivocational ministry, I believe, today gets this this bad rap. I mean, if you go back to the Ralph Moore and some other story, some other books that were there, the hope and the opportunity of bivocational ministry it gets you to be able to connect with people. My, all, all of my staff, all of my campus pastors, they all work full time outside. Some of my campus pastors get one hundred twenty five dollars a week to be the pastor of that church. They drive fifteen minutes or forty minutes sometimes to get to that location or to get to do some things, but they feel called. They're working on moving in, and they say, "Listen, we're just here to serve." I mean, I mean covering their gas all the time for the things that they come in to do. But when they have a heart and a passion and a purpose, man, I can't replace that. They may not have all the skills. I can give them the skills. But if they have the heart and the passion, I'm like, let me give you a place to do and to let that out. And they may make a, a mess. I was in Africa. I had them email one of my campus pastors. And I said, listen, this is it. You need to deal with this issue. And if you don't deal with it, we're going to have big words when we get back. Because there was some little stuff going on. And I said, We're, you need to deal with this before I get home. Because it got back to me. And I said, "How do you? if you need more resources, if you need to talk it through, if we need to role play this conversation, then let's do it. But it's on you right now to make it happen. And that's the kind of conversations I can have with my pastors. Because they know I love them. Every time they, I walk in and I'm like, they're like, oh, Pastor John's here. They, they celebrate when I walk in the door like I'm somebody. I'm like, whatever. I got chicken poop on my shoes, and my boots, and I got stuff, you know, hay in the back of my truck. Let's go for this. Listen, it's not sexy and it sucks because it's not easy. But at what level we go to reach the lost, those that are away from Christ? See, we're not talking about open Walmart Supercenter. We're talking about open a Dollar General. It's about relationships more than it is about money. Friend, I don't know all of it. Don't know anything. And I hope some of this maybe clicked someplace. I'm willing to walk the journey. Uh, you can look me up on Facebook. If you don't, whatever, I'll give you my business card if you want that. Uh, you want to talk through some of this, you need help walking through it. We're walking through some stuff. with. Uh, I'm helping to lead the component, the rural component. We're, we're moving for the network. And uh, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll drive and meet with you. I will show up and walk a community with you. I'll pray with you. Uh, I'll help coach you through some stuff. I don't have all the answers, but I know somebody that does, okay? And a couple, let me give you two more resources real quick. The Grasshopper Myth by Carl Vader. The new smallchurch.com is his stuff. He just released a new book the other day that I'm waiting to, uh, to purchase there. The new smallchurch.com. Carl Vader, at different points in time, said big churches, small churches, and the small thinking that divides us. The struggle is sometimes you can't go with everything because sometimes you're like, man, are they just complaining about something? Get through that, okay? So, small town mission. God wants missionaries to the ends of the earth. At the end of the cul-de-sac, at the end of the cornfield, and at the end of the hallway at work. Are you willing to just take wherever you are and go for it? We're looking at planting a church in a community called uh, um, Oh Napoleon right now. I've got people that used to drive 45 minutes to my church, and they're living out there. And they said, "Man, we just can't do the drive during the winter. We we need to see. We need a, a Pentecostal church right here." And I'm like, "All right." They went to Bible college, they did all this stuff. I'm like, all right, we're going to meet up. You're going to have to take a guitar player out there, and we'll start a small group in their house, and we're going to see what happens. I got no more. I mean, I'm kind of bored. I don't have much to do in my life and stuff like that. But anything that I said, questions, comments, concerns? I just want to add real quick, uh, just to let you all know that the research has been done for Ohio by Josh Williford. Yep. We can get you that research. Uh, we need to plant churches strategically as well. 
So, like, if you want to do some research on what communities in Ohio really need a church based upon... I had a map that I didn't have. I, I couldn't pull that up. I was like, oh. And then the other thing is, I'm not sure if Sarah knows or Josh knows, but, like, if a guy like Jordan wants to plant a church, wants to do a quick demogra- demographic study, is there a website we use? What tool do we use? Just, uh, we have an account with uh, Lead to Lead. And yes. Percept reports, so all I need is a zip code or county. So yeah. Yeah, just contact that's a that is a great resource. It'll go by county yeah. and it gives you the median ages, the finances, what's what's the value, what's the needs within those communities. If you're a presbyter, I went and had those I printed them all for my area, every one of my churches. And then I put my map up in front of them and I said, What are we gonna do? And they couldn't they couldn't walk away from it. But that's a great uh, that that's the one that gave, I've used that one so much, but contact Sarah now. Yeah. Well, she'll produce it, pull it down. It's an eight-page report. Yeah. So it's it's eight it's eight page. There's like an eight-page report and then an in-depth report, and so she can get that, download it, and send it right off to you from there. Anything else? Thank you so much, and uh, just pray that it stirred something in your heart. Blessings upon you. All right. Amen. Let's do it.